Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We're talking today about eternal life. And I don't know if you know this or not, but there's going to come a day in your life when you're going to have no more sorrows, no more allergies, no more headaches, no more pain, no more suffering, no more need for healing. You go, wow, I don't know what I'll do with myself. I don't know what I'll think about. I don't know what I'll explore. Eternal life is one of those things that blows our minds. We cannot conceive of it in our human minds. And Jesus is going to talk to this rich young ruler today about eternal life. And I want to encourage you at the end, we're going to call for baptism and invite you to make a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. And moms and dads, if this is something that you've been talking to your kids about and you want them to engage us at the end, that'll be their opportunity as well. I want to invite you to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device, and we're going to look at this conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And we're going to ask this question, how do I experience eternal life? Now, while you're finding your place, let me just give a shout out. We're eight days away uh, from Pastor Aaron opening for Chris Tomlin. Now, I need you to pray for Pastor Aaron. Because Pastor Aaron has, uh, is it okay, Lauren? Uh, Pastor Aaron has a nodule on his throat. And you might be able to tell he kind of sounds like he's a little hoarse or whatever. He's, he's having some real challenges with his voice. And I want to pray in the name of Jesus that God will heal that. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. We believe. Help our unbelief, God. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, so this man came up to him, Jesus, and here's what he said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, this question has never been more prevalent in our society than it is now. Let me ask it another way. Jesus, what good can I do so I don't have to believe in you, right? This is the society we live in. What good can I do to ensure myself a guarantee of eternal life? I don't need to entrust myself to anyone else. I don't need to believe in anyone else. I don't need to rely on anyone else's uh, sacrifice for me. I can do it myself. So how do we experience eternal life? Number one, ask Jesus how you can experience eternal life. That's a good place to start. Now, he's asking the wrong question, but at least he's asking the right person. Amen? Sometimes people ask the right questions to the wrong people. I can remember in my life asking questions, and they're like, why are you asking me this? I can't help you. 
And sometimes we ask the right question to the wrong person, or we ask the wrong question to the right person. And in this sense, he asked the wrong question to the right person, but at least he's talking to the right person. So how can I be good enough to go to heaven? How can I accomplish and attain what I want to do with my life? Now, Jesus is going to address the misnomer of this question. Look at verse 17. He said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. He wanted to do good without having to accept the only one who was good. Think about that. How many of us in our lives are like, I've got to figure out how I can get some good to come out of this situation. And we spend so much time trying to bring good out of it that we forget to talk to the one that is good. We all may have a tendency to run around like a chicken with its head cut off, right? And we might say to ourselves, I got to do something about this situation. I've got to do something about this situation. I've got to bring some good out of this situation. All of us have a situation in our lives that we think we need to bring good out of. But God wants us to understand that when we are struggling and discouraged, we need to realize that that is the cue to spend more time with the only one that is good. So when I spend time with God and I talk to him and I share with him, he begins to reveal to me things about himself that gives me courage, that gives me hope. But you know as well as I do, we want eternity. We want this life on our terms. Control is a very powerful thing. So Jesus is going to challenge his goodness. Do you ever feel a little self-righteous? I mean, I know you don't, but I do sometimes. And I'm talking about with God. It's like, it's like a similar Job moment, right? You go, God, or do I need to inform you of what I've been doing for you? You know, we get into these little moments where uh, we want to give a parenthetical note to God. God, do you look how I've lived for you? So is it a big deal that I ask you for this? I mean, I'm only asking for this so that I can do this for you, God, you know, I only want to be able, and, and there's all these little negotiation moments that we get into with God. I like to call them microwave prayers. We're just praying that we can punch in, you know, one minute on the microwave, and in 60 seconds, God will do exactly what we want him to do. Look at verse 17b. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. If you want eternal life, then keep the commandments. Now, I love how generic Jesus was on this. I love how he left it open-ended. Have you ever noticed in your relationship with Jesus that when you start talking to God, God starts asking these very broad questions of our lives. He keeps it pretty general. He doesn't get very specific. And look at the man's response. He said to him, what? What did he say? Somebody say it. Which ones? Do you know why the man said which ones? Because the man already knew it was impossible to keep them all. 
See, when God asks us a question, we hedge our bets, don't we? When we get ourselves in a situation where uh, we're trying to go toe-to-toe with God in our lives, and we ask God a question, he gives us an answer, and then we come back with a question. Well, which ones? Let's, let's get this down. I, I, I don't like to play a game. This is my personality type. I don't like to play a game unless I know I have a chance to win. And if I don't have a chance to win, they go, no, not interested. And maybe you like to play games that you know you're going to lose at. I don't. It's just not an interest to me. I don't need any more beatdown in my life. Look at verse 18b. And Jesus said, you shall not murder. And I'm sure the guy's thinking, okay, I'm in pretty good shape there. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, I'm in pretty good shape there. You shall not steal. Well, I don't know. I mean, when I was in third grade. Uh, you shall not bear false witness. Well, I hope he can't remember that. Uh, honor your father and mother. Okay, whatever. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, man, it's getting harder. I don't know about that. The young man said to him, oh, all these I've kept. Isn't that awesome? I mean... Do you remember when you used to be like this? Do you remember that moment in your life when, when you just felt like life was your oyster and anything you wanted to accomplish you could and, you know, it's all these I've kept. What do I still lack? I love this. This guy thinks he's good. This guy thinks he's worthy of eternal life. He thinks he's worthy of it. Do you know what happens to some of us after we've walked with God for a long time? We begin to think we deserve our relationship with Christ. Same is true in marriage. You show me a marriage that's been at it for many years that's good, and I can assure you one of the fundamental things that they've decided is we're not going to take each other for granted. The same is true in your real relationship with Jesus Christ. After you've walked with the Lord for a long time, we begin to say, okay, Lord, you owe me this because I'm this. Look at verse 21. So Jesus said to him, if you would be, what, what's the word? Come on, say it louder. If you would be what? Oh. Now we're getting to the standard that's required for eternal life apart from Jesus. Does that make sense? If you're going to go eternal route without Jesus, you've got to be able to write on your resume, lived a perfect life. Anybody? Any takers? I mean, as soon as the hand goes up, the elbow comes across, right? It doesn't exist. We all know that. If you would be perfect, here's what you need to do. I want you to go. I want you to sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. That sounds simple enough, doesn't it? I mean, that... That should be pretty easy to do. Now, eternal life is never on our terms. So principle number three, realize you can't experience eternal life on your terms. Where in your life 
Are you frustrated with God? Because life is not going the way you want it to. It's not on your terms. And you're in a negotiation with God and you're saying things like, you know, God, I'm losing my faith because you're not doing what I've asked you to do. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away. How? Somebody say it. Sorrowful. And why is that? Because he had lots of stuff. He had lots of stuff. Now let me say it another way. He was sorrowful because he loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. Isn't it interesting how Jesus always hits us where we love the thing the most? Isn't that interesting? So principle number three, how do we experience eternal life? Realize you can't experience eternal life if you're not willing to be changed by God. You can't experience eternal life if you're not willing to be changed by God. Sometimes I get tired of changing. Yeah? Sometimes I look around at the world and I see the world so selfish and not wanting to change. I see God never having to change. And I see myself in the middle of the equation being asked by God to change all the time. Not because... God doesn't love me unless I change. God loves me regardless of whether I change. But God knows that if I will move more toward him and less toward the world, I can become who he created me to be. And, you know, I'm 10 days away from 51. Been at this for a while. And sometimes I say to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to be the one to change in this equation. I want everybody else to change. And the Lord says, I'm asking you to change. I'm asking you to change. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to the disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's some debate on what verse 24 means. Is it literally like a, a needle that you hold up and that's possible? But there also uh, was, and I've seen this when I was in Israel, there's doors and there's multiple doors to a door and the eye of the needle on the door is the smallest part of the door that you could open to let a human being through, but you couldn't let stuff or a camel or anything like that through it. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, it'll be easier for you to get a camel through the hole that only a human can fit through before a rich person and all their stuff will make it into heaven. You say, what's the point? Is the point is rich people can't go to heaven? Well, let me just tell you. Compared to the rest of the world, just about everybody in our country is rich. You go, well, not as rich as I used to be. All right. 
The point is this. If you plan on taking your stuff to heaven, if that's how you're living your life, you ready? You won't be going. That's what he's teaching. If you plan on taking a U-Haul with you when you leave this place, you won't be going to heaven. If you're going to live your life to simply and primarily and formally amass stuff, if that's the goal, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the stuff, but if that's the goal, you won't be going. That's what Jesus is saying. If you love what you see more than you love what you don't see, you won't be going. That's tough, isn't it? So verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things. All things. What is it in your life that you think God can't do? You say, how about you, Kelly? You don't have enough time. You say, really? Yes. You say, how do you know? Because it's all the stuff I worry about. Anything I worry about is because I don't believe God can do it. You say, yeah, but maybe God's not going to do it. No, God's may not going to do it like I want him to do it, but God's going to do it. Before one day was, he knew them all to be. Many of the plans of a man's heart, but the way is directed by the Lord. You can roll the dice, but God determines the outcome. You prepare the horse for battle. God determines the victory. I could go on and on. And the tough part about life is I have to say to the Lord over and over again, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help it. Because it's there and it's real. And God, if you don't do what I want you to do uh, so that it can turn out the way I want it to, then it's not going to go the way that I intended it to. And then it's going to be bad because I know better than you, God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. This man, this is impossible. We got all things are possible. So what do you believe is beyond God's reach in your life? Who in your life do you believe is beyond God's reach? I was reading, I'm in the Psalms now. I was reading, I believe it was Psalm 32, and it's just like, God was lighting the psalmist up and lighting me up at the same time. Principle number four, realize God can change and redeem anyone through Christ Jesus. God can change and redeem anyone through Christ Jesus. So who in your life has God put before you? And you're like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. I've got one of my uh, one of my atheist friends, and he sent me uh, a text a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "Hey, um, during." 
COVID, he has two walking buddies. During COVID, one of his walking buddies uh, died of COVID. And then he just sent me a text last week, and he said, hey, my other friend that I walk with, he um, found out he has a brain tumor, and he died a week later. And then he said, you know, I guess you shouldn't want to walk with me. I said, you know, the Lord's walked with you every step of the way. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's walked with you every step of the way. And while he was over in Europe, he sent me these pictures of these churches recently. And I text back and I said, be careful. You might accidentally become a Christian. <laughs> he came back and he was sick and we were supposed to have met. And I said, hey, no worries. And I said, and I prayed, I was like, Lord, send an angel to visit him. And I'm asking God to give him the faith to believe. And I'm asking him for a miracle in this man's life. Who is it in your life? My experience is that God has only answered one prayer in my life always. And this is the prayer God's always answered. Give me someone that doesn't know you that I can love and try to love like you love me. God's always answered that prayer. And my experience as a follower of Jesus Christ is the quickest way to encouragement is to get into the life of an unbeliever. Because I watch so many Christians grow lukewarm. They don't know any lost people. And they don't know that they're getting ready to become one themselves. And I'm just telling you, if you keep lost people in your life, Tony, you don't ever want to become like them. I've never met a lost person I wanted to be like. That doesn't mean they don't have great traits. That doesn't mean that they're not nice people and they're not enjoyable to be around. But I'm just telling you, one of the ways that God can grow your faith while you're discouraged is to get into the life of an unbelieving person and go, whoa. And here's what I got for you. Unbelieving people's marriages end in divorce. Unbelieving people's children rebel. Unbelieving people's businesses struggle. Unbelieving people have health issues. Sometimes when we become Christians, we forget that we're still humans, right? And I just want to encourage you that as you engage the life of an unbeliever, you'll begin to see, because it helps ground me, that this is what life is. Life is a struggle. It's a challenge. It's a series of challenges. Look at verse 27. Peter said in reply, see what we have left? Everything. And followed you. What will we have? See, what I love about Peter is he's like, you know, Jesus... Thank you for letting me know the scorecard because it looks like I'm going to get all A's again. I've left everything. I've left it all. 
So I only, I, really, the only conversation Jesus, you and I need to have is, how big's the mansion in heaven going to be? It's just, whew, I love Peter. Look at verse 28. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, father, mother, children, lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold. And not only that, but eternal life. But many are first will be last and the last first. So how do people experience eternal life? Number five, realize eternity can't be earned, but rewards can. Eternity can't be earned, but rewards can. What we do for God won't go unnoticed. Do you understand that? You go, yeah, but it's gone unnoticed by everybody else. Okay, well, here's the thing. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if anybody else sees what you've done for God. God sees. Psalm says, the psalmist says, God's eyes are ever on you. You go, oh my goodness. Could you please look away? No, no. God sees everything you've done for him. But here's the problem as a Christian. We get to the point to where we stop doing it for him. And either we do it for ourselves, our own sense of feeling good, like the rich young ruler, where we're trying to prop ourselves up. And the Lord says, no. No. The reason why you serve children at a VBB is not so you can feel good about you but so that you can serve me so that they can experience eternal life forever. Forever. How many of us in the room, including myself, gave our lives to Jesus Christ before we were 20? Can I see your hand? Wow. 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 The church is always one generation from extinction. You say, what do we do? We be faithful with the truth. And we serve the people that God brings to us through real relationships that we share with each other. That's our mission. That's our calling. And so all the activities and all the stuff that we do as a church and all the programs and all the lunches and all the dinners and all the midweeks and all the weekends, all the worship sets and all the sermons, all the children's ministry and all the students, all the young adults, everything, all of this we do it so that other people can experience the love of Jesus Christ, have opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ to live for him in this life and experience eternal life forever and be blessed a hundredfold in the life to come. In the life to come. What you do for God does not go unnoticed. Where in your life do you feel like God doesn't see you? 
You say, I don't think anybody else sees me. That's fine. Where in your life do you feel like God doesn't see you? And my experience has been it usually has to do with pain in our lives. And so what I want to encourage you to do is invite him into that. Invite him into that right now. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.